Well, good morning once again, everyone, and uh, welcome once again to our <coughs> our service. Uh, I'm, I'm so, what a privilege it is to um, to preach any Sunday, but particularly on Easter Sunday, where we get to, uh, Easter weekend even, where we get to remember the, the, the and celebrate the death and resurrection of our Lord. Really, every Sunday is is Resurrection Sunday, but of, of course, this is a, this is a special Sunday where we where we where we remember that. Now, um, today, this Sunday, I want to come at the this story, God's story, from a bit of a different angle. As I was reflecting on what to share this morning, there was this kind of there's this phrase that just kind of popped up in my head, and and um, and it's this, it's this that that God is the one who writes the end of the story. God is the one who writes the end of the story. And so, what I want to do today is I want to just go through Scripture and just, just highlight a handful of stories throughout Scripture. i got 11 of them, uh, which, which, which briefly just highlights and reminds us that God is really the one who writes the end of the story. And then we'll come to uh, the story surrounding Easter weekend, of course. So uh, let me pray, actually, before I begin. Lord, uh, again, thank you so much uh, for how awesome of a God you are. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who writes the end of our story, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak through your message today, speak through your word, amen. So, uh, I got 11 stories I want to share with you, story number one. In story number one, if you go back to the Old Testament, into the book of Exodus, you see that the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt, and so God sends a man by the name of Moses to go to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, you got to know something, that the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years. They were outnumbered. They were outmanned. They were outpowered. And uh, Pharaoh is not interested. He's not going to be interested in this, and God warned Moses of that. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Exodus 5.2 says this. Pharaoh said, check out his response, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let the uh, let Israel go. In other words, Pharaoh is saying, they're going to be my slaves for life. I write the end of their story. I, Pharaoh, am the one who puts the period at the end of the sentence. I, Pharaoh, am the one who puts the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. I write their story. No, you don't write their story, Pharaoh. God writes the end of the story. And as you carry on through the book of Exodus, you see that God, through Moses, sent some just incredible and miraculous plagues and miracles that led to the eventual uh, 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 the Israelites being freed from slavery in Egypt. God writes the end of the story. Kings don't write the end of the story. Story number two, the Israelites have now left Egypt and they're kind of stuck by the sea. They're cornered in this uh, certain area. And the Egyptians decide to change their mind. And so they come running after the Israelites. They got their chariots, their horses, and the Israelites, they start freaking out. They start freaking out. Uh, Exodus 14, verse 10 says, and following says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. The Israelites were writing the end of their story. They were saying the end of our story is going to be death. We're all going to die. That was the end of the story they were writing. But you know what? 
Our fears don't write the end of the story. The Israelites didn't write the end of the story. God writes the end of the story. And so what did God do? Well, God miraculously, he parted the, the, the ocean. He parted the waters for the Israelites so they were able to walk through not on muddy ground, but on dry ground. They got to the other side while there were two walls of water beside them. The, the Israelites got to the other side. The Egyptians followed them and God uh, just caved in the water over the Egyptians, again, freeing the Israelites permanently from the Israelites or from, from the Egyptians. It is, it is not our fears that write the end of the story. It is God who writes the end of the story. Story number three, the Israelites, they're in the desert and they, uh, they need food, they need water. And so once again, they start freaking out. They forgot who writes the end of the story. And so they were writing the end of the story again for themselves. They were going to Moses. They grumbled and they were freaking out. And their story can be found in Exodus 16 and 17. And they basically said, we're going to starve to death. We're going to die. They were saying that our circumstances are going to write the end of the story. And they forgot that your circumstances don't write the end of the story. Your fears don't write the end of the story. Kings don't write the end of the story. God writes the end of the story. And so he had Moses strike a rock and water came gushing out of a rock and gave the Israelites and their um, and their, uh, their animals, uh, water. And he not only did that, but he literally rained down bread and meat from heaven. They called the bread manna. And, uh, and it wasn't just a one-night thing. It says in that story, if you read it in Exodus 16 to 17, that the Israelites ate this bread for 40 years. God had rained down the bread, bread from heaven for 40 years for the Israelites while they wandered in a desert. Why? Because our circumstances don't write the story, the end of the story. God writes the end of the story. Story number four, the Israelites uh, are in the desert and God tells the Israelites to go spy out the land of uh, Canaan, the land that he's going to give them. Twelve go, twelve come back. Ten say, we can't do it. They're too strong. They're, they're, they're going to overpower us. It can't be done. It's impossible. The odds are against us. The odds are going to write the end of this story. But they forgot. No, God is the one who writes the end of the story. And if you hop over to the book of Joshua, you will see that the Israelites eventually took over that land that God had promised them. Story number five, as you walk through the history of the Israelites, you jump into a passage, Isaiah 36 and 37. The king of Assyria comes up against the people of Israel and he comes up against Hezekiah in Jerusalem and he's mocking Israel. He's mocking all the nations. He's mocking the God of Israel. And he says this, Isaiah 36, verse 20, he says, Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? How then can the Lord, who is the Lord? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And so the king of Assyria was writing the end of their story. The king of Assyria was telling the Israelites, he says, this is the end of, the, this is the end of your story. You don't have a chance. You're going to die. I'm going to take you over. The Lord is nothing God can't help you. you. You have to surrender. And if you don't surrender, you are going to die. I, the king of Assyria, am writing the end of the story. But the king of Assyria forgot, or maybe he didn't know, that God is the one who writes the end of the story. And there was one night where God sends an angel of the Lord. And just in one night, this angel of the Lord uh, puts to death 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And this is how the story ended. It says, the king of Assyria went home, period. Why? 
Because the king of Assyria, as strong as mighty as he was, does not write the end of the story. God writes the end of the story. Story number six. You can find this story in the book of Daniel. Daniel was a, an Israelite who was serving uh, King Darius in another, in another nation, and he was prominent. He, was, uh, dis- he distinguished himself amongst all the other leaders in that, uh, in that nation. And so the king favored Daniel over, um, over and among all the other leaders um, in the kingdom. But there were some other higher-ranking officials who were jealous of Daniel. They, want, they wanted to take him out, but they couldn't find anything against him. And so these higher-ranking officials, they manipulated the king, and they manipulated the law to, uh, to trap Daniel because they knew that Daniel would be faithful to the Lord. And so the rule was that the law had changed so that no one was able to pray to um, uh, anyone other than the king. They weren't allowed to pray to their own god or any other god. And so if they knew that Daniel was going to be faithful to that, and he was, and he got in trouble, and as a result, according to the law, Daniel had to be punished. He had to be thrown into the lion's den where he surely would, would have been eaten and destroyed, destroyed and eaten by the lions. And so that's exactly what happened. He was thrown into the lion's den. Uh, the lion's den was sealed and covered. He's in the midst of a lion's den, uh, midst of hungry lions who are going and should have eaten him, but it didn't happen. Why? Because God writes the end of the story. Daniel 6 says, uh, 21 and 22, uh, the king came and it was after the night that Daniel spent in the lion's den, the kings called out to him and Daniel answered from the lion's den in verse 21, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And so we learned from this story, we were reminded from this story that the law does not write the end of the story. We also learned that manipulative, high-ranking officials in the past, the present, and the future, they do not write the end of the story. It is God who writes the end of the story. Story number seven. Story number seven is Jonah. A prophet of the Lord, God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, my story, my plan is for you to go to the people of Nineveh and preach, preach a message of repentance. That, that's, that's where you need to go. That's what you need to do. That's my plan. That's my story. And Jonah said, no, no thanks. I don't want to do that. And so Jonah says, uh, I, I'm not going to do what God wants. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. So he boards a ship. He goes into the opposite direction. He's trying to avoid doing God's story. And, uh, and anyways, God sends a, uh, uh, a storm to overcome the ship, and the sailors are freaking out. And Jonah convinces them that the reason why they have the storm is because he's being disobedient to God's plan. And so they, he convinces them, them to throw him over, and eventually they, they do that, even though they're originally reluctant to do so. And as soon as they throw Jonah out, the, the storm and the wind and the waves, it calms down, it chills out. And I have this suspicion that Jonah wasn't just, he didn't just want to go for a swim. I have this suspicion that Jonah was actually trying to kill himself. He didn't want to do what God was calling him to do. He runs in the opposite direction. He's trying to kill himself. But even if someone is wanting to run in the opposite direction, even if someone of their own will and of their own will is going to, they're trying to kill himself and not do what God wants them to do, they, you need to, we need to remember that it doesn't matter what we do with our lives. God writes the end of the story of our own lives. And so God sends a fish to, eat, to, to swallow Jonah, bring him back to where he's got to go, spits him out, and then Jonah ends up doing what God had originally planned. Why? Because Jonah does not write the end of the story. 
God writes the end of the story, whether he likes it or not. And God writes the end of our, story, uh, end of our own stories as well. <clears throat> and then we move into the ministry and the, the life of Jesus. The first story that comes to mind is story number eight. And this story can be found in, in John chapter 9. The story of a man who was born blind. He was born blind. As you know, I'm sure others around him, of this, this blind man, were writing the end of his story. And the end of his story maybe looked like this. Uh, well, he was born blind, unfortunately. And you know what? The end of his story is that he is going to die a blind man. That is, period. That, that's totally expected. There's, there's no other options. He was born blind. He will die blind. And not only that, but he's going to end up being a blind and poor beggar for the rest of his life. That's his story. That's his lot in life. That's the end of his story. That's it. But then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And Jesus decides that he's going to write a different story to this man's life. He, he, he spits in the ground. He mixes it up with some dirt. He creates some mud. He slaps it on his face. He says a few words. And the guy's life is changed for life. He is, he is healed. God writes a different story for this man's life. Another man's story can be found in Matthew chapter 9. It's a story of Matthew, the, uh, the, the tax collector. And, and you've got you to understand in those days, tax collectors were despised um, because they, they were seen as, as traitors because here you have Israel uh, under, uh, under the power of Rome, and now you have Israelites working for Rome and taxing and overtaxing the Israelites to pay their enemy Rome. And so just, that was just... For an Israelite to do that just felt like an unfathomable, treasonous, traitor act. And uh, tax, tax collectors were seen as sinners. They were despised. They were the scum of the universe. I'm sure there were people who were thinking a, a, a tax collector could, could never be forgiven for what they uh, have, have done to the people of Israel. That's what others were thinking of Matthew. His reputation was sealed with a period on it. He's a traitor. He's a sinner. He's the scum of the universe. But then Jesus shows up and writes a different story. And he goes to Matthew, of all people, why, why, why wouldn't have Jesus picked a nicer person or a more acceptable person in their culture? No, he goes to the despised, a despicable sinner. And he says, Matthew, you want to join the team? Follow me. And right then and there, Matthew drops everything. He follows Jesus, and his life is changed forever. Jesus wrote a different story for Matthew. And Matthew is the very one who wrote the first uh, gospel or the first letter in our, in our New Testament, in our scripture. Uh, Jesus wrote a different story for Matthew. Another story can be found in Mark chapter 5 where there's a man who is, who is possessed. He is, um, he's possessed by not just one demon, but many demons. Uh, so much so that his, his life is just messed up. He, he's, he's causing so many issues. Uh, apparently, he had been, uh, uh, people had attempted to chain him down, and uh, maybe because he was just too crazy and damaging everything or, or maybe causing fear in people's life. I don't know the whole story, but when, when people tried to chain him down, uh, the demons were so strong in him that, that he would just break the chains and break the iron bars, whatever restraints were on him. And uh, he got to the point where he had to just, just flee from the others, and he spent his life in the tombs in the distance, and people were freaked out by him. People tried to avoid him. The story that people were saying about this man was this, this man, he's a lost cause. 
Nobody can help him. Stay away. Keep your distance. Uh, this, this man is, is hopeless. He's a lost cause. That is the end of his story. But then Jesus showed up, and he wrote a different story. He came to this man, and he was able to cast out all these demons out of his life. He brought healing to his life. And his life was changed, well, for the rest of his life. Another story that comes to mind is Mark chapter 5. You can find it in Mark chapter 5, and it was, it was a woman. It was a woman who was bleeding. She was hemorrhaging for years. And uh, the scripture says that uh, she went to the doctors, and she, she spent everything she had. And I have no doubt she probably saw multiple doctors and tried multiple remedies and spent all of her money, it says, just trying to get better, trying to get healed. And the doctors, they wrote the end of her story, they, and, and what they would have said is something like this, sorry, we can't help you. There's nothing more we can do. The end of your story is that you're going to be, going to be suffering with this for the rest of your life. We don't know what else we can do. We're so sorry. The end. And then Jesus shows up. And all she does is she touches the end of his garment, and she is healed. That's it. She's healed. And she's given a, a new story, a different story, a different ending to her story than what the doctors gave her. Why? Because God writes the end of the story. And then we get to Easter weekend and we get to the cross. And we see that Jesus, he's, he's, he is abused, he is spat upon, he is, he is, he is nailed to a cross and he dies. He literally dies on the cross. What would have been the storyline at that point? What would the disciples be thinking at that point? The disciples were probably thinking, it's over, period, exclamation mark. Jesus is dead, period, exclamation mark. That is the end of the story. There's no more hope, period, exclamation mark. Go your own way. Everybody go home. And in fact, that's what they did. Some of the disciples probably weren't even there because they were too afraid of, of being identified with Jesus. Others, they actually went to a room. They hid. They ran because, and they locked the doors behind them because they were afraid of the Jews. They're feeling this incredible discouragement, this incredible hopelessness. They were maybe saying something like this. We, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he could have, like surely he could have saved himself. Has God failed us? Is that the end of the story? Well, Rome was also writing the end to this story. And this is what Rome was saying. They, they were looking to the cross and they said, listen, listen, everyone. This is the end of the story for those who cause issues in Rome. Crucifixion. Rome writes the end of the story when you mess with Rome. And this is what happens. The Jews, they were also writing an end to the story. And they were looking to the cross as well. And they were saying, listen, we write the end of the story as well. And this is what happens. To, to, this is how the story ends for illegitimate religious leaders. Death. We're going to get you one way or the other. Why? Because we write the end of the story. There were two other people there that day. And their names were sin and death. And they were writing the end of the story as well. And what they were saying is that, look, look at the cross. He is dead. It's over. Death comes to everyone. You can't avoid it. No one can beat it. It's everyone's fate. That is the end of the story. 
and sin and death, they were laughing all the way to the grave, and they were saying, there's no coming back from the dead. The story is finished. It's final, period, exclamation mark. But what happened? Who writes the end of the story? I think I, I, think I forgot who writes the end of the story. I wonder if there's someone out there who can remind me who writes the end of the story. God writes the end of the story, praise God. Wow, God writes the end of the story. And so God, God writes the end of the story. and He, he is the one who raises Jesus from the dead. Sin and death did not write the end of the story. The Jews did not write the end of the story. Rome did not write the end of the story. The disciples did not write the end of the story. God writes the end of the story. And even sin and death couldn't hold them down. Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. And this event in history is, I think, the, the pinnacle, the, the, the most important climactic event of, of all history. It, it's, it's, the, it's the event, the resurrection, for me, makes all the other miracles in history make sense. It ties them all together. Uh, God rose Jesus from the dead. And it's not just a story where God, uh, where God involved himself in. It is the story. It is the ultimate story. You know, if, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we wouldn't even have a Bible. The, the very reason why we have a New Testament is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we wouldn't have a New Testament. We also wouldn't have an Old Testament because the Old Testament points to the fact that God is going to send the Messiah. He is going to die and give his life for us and he will rise again. So why would you predict that if it's not going to happen? The resurrection is the pinnacle event of all history that makes all of scripture make sense. It reminds us that ultimately God writes the story, the story, that ultimately he is the story. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Praise God. Peter said this in his, in his letter uh, to the church. He said for, in 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In other words, I'm writing this letter to you because Jesus rose from the dead. And you wouldn't be writing that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The resurrection tells us that God gives life and no one can take it away. The resurrection tells us that even if we die, those who are united with him will rise with him in, into eternal life. The resurrection tells us that God is our ultimate provider and our protector. The resurrection tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin, that we have been given new life. The resurrection tells us that sin and death do not have the final word. God has the final word. The resurrection tells us that kings and nations do not have the final word. Our fears do not have the final word. Our circumstances do not have the final word. The law doesn't have the final word. Manipulative leaders, in high-ranking manipulative leaders throughout the world, they do not have the last word. God has the last word. God is the one who writes the end of the story. 
<clears throat> so what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? Well, whatever your story is, whatever it is, know that others don't write the end of your story. You don't write the end of your story. Your fears don't write the end of your story. Your circumstances don't write the end of your story. Nothing writes the end of your story other than God. God is the one who writes the end of your story. And maybe there's someone out there who needs to hear this, and maybe you're in the midst of an impossible situation that the Lord has, has led you to, or maybe he's leading you through. Whatever the situation is, no matter how impossible it seems, remember that God is the one who writes the story, and we can say that because of the resurrection. Maybe there's someone here, you've lost a loved one recently to death or cancer or some other horrible sickness or disease, but remember that even in death, God is the one who writes the end of the story. We are presently in the midst of what's what we call a pandemic. And let me tell you who's going to write the story. Let me tell you who's not going to write the end of the story. Vaccines are not going to write the end of the story. Governments are not going to write the end of the story. The nations are not going to write the end of the story. Scientists are not going to write the end of the story. Politicians are not going to write the end of the story. No one is writing the end of the story other than God. God is the one who writes the end of the story. And maybe there's someone out there, you're writing a different storyline for your life. This pandemic is uh, caused mental health issues for some people. I think people are isolated, they're lonely. And maybe you're thinking that the end of your story is just one of loneliness and isolation. That's not the end of your story. God writes the end of your story. And listen, Satan, he's alive, he's well, he's powerful, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's sneaky. And listen, all, all of, all, Satan and all the powers of, uh, of hell can, can come against you. But you know what? If you're united with Christ because he rose from the dead, even Satan does not write the end of his, uh, of the, he doesn't write the end of the story for your life or for, the, or for the future of the world. God is the one who writes the end of the story. We know because he rose from the dead that he has won and he will win. And we know that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, when he comes back, he's going to be just as victorious as he always was. God wins in the end. He wins. And if you're united with Christ, you win as well. And so the resurrection requires a response. This, this story, the resurrection story, is actually part of a greater story. And it's this, that there really, truly is a God. And this God who truly exists, he loves you. He truly loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to send his son to die a criminal's death on the cross, something that he didn't deserve because he was sinless, he was perfect, but yet he died for you. And he didn't stay dead because death does not write the end of the story. God does. And as a result, he rose from the dead. And all those who put their faith in Jesus, for those who believe in his death and his resurrection and commit to living a life that honors him through the help of his Holy Spirit, you, you can be united with him. You can be united with him in his death and resurrection and you can be, be reconciled to God and you can have this, you can be guaranteed of having, uh, uh, spending eternal life with him. But it requires a response. Listen, if you leave today and you just kind of see Easter weekend as an, as an excuse to eat chocolate bunnies and uh, get together with your family, eat nice food, I mean, that's, that's nice, but that's just a waste of time. Uh, not that seeing family is a waste of time. I'm, 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 what I'm saying is if, if that's all Easter is to you, if that's all the resurrection day is to you, you're missing out. 
The resurrection story requires a response. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the person who conquered death? Will you respond to him in faith? Now, there might be some people out there, and maybe you, you have been a believer for many years. And maybe today you need to rededicate yourself to the one who conquered the grave. Maybe there's someone else out there who you, maybe you're watching for the first time, and maybe you've never made a decision to put your faith in Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Believe in his death and resurrection. Confess him as, Lord, as your Lord and Savior. And commit to living a, a life to him through his help that honors him and, and trusting in his Holy Spirit. If you are um, watching this sermon um, at a later date, uh, we're going to play a, a video at the end of our service. It's called uh, God's Not Done With You by Torrin Wells. And I think it's a message that uh, really complements this, uh, this, this message uh, today very well. And so if you're watching live, we're going to attempt to play this at the very end of our service uh, when I come back and close. And if, again, if you're watching at a later point, we would just encourage you to go on YouTube and type in God's Not Done With You by Torrin Wells, as that is, a, I think, a music, a song that really uh, complements what what, I, what we've been talking about today. So let me pray and invite the worship team to come back up. <clears throat> Father, you are, you are so good. You're so awesome. You're so loving. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin, that you sent your son to rescue us, to redeem us, to restore us. You sent your son to die on the cross. You, you didn't deserve that. You didn't have to do it, but you did. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you that you conquered sin and death. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who writes the end of the story. You write the end of the story for our individual lives. You write the end of the story for every nation. And ultimately, you write the story of history for everyone and everything because you were the first and the last, in the beginning and the end. We praise you for that. Lord, help us to respond to you in faith today, wherever we're at, no matter how long we've been walking with you. Help us to respond to you in faith. Help, help our walk to deepen in you and to, and to grow in you. Again, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice, and thank you that you are victorious. Amen.